Hey everyone, how's it going? This is Azarin, the Language Nerd here. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I'm the owner of the Calgary Language Nerds, and welcome to today's podcast episode. I want to talk about two different topics related to language learning today, and I would like to share something I've learned through my meditations and my journaling. That'll happen at the end of the podcast episode, so we'll start with the language learning topics. The first topic has to do with listening comprehension. Lately, I've been thinking about a potential reason that some people struggle with listening comprehension, and it has to do with phonemic and phonological awareness. My feeling as of today is that possibly a percentage of people who struggle with listening comprehension may do so because of poor phonemic and or phonological awareness. Now, what is phonemic and phonological awareness? In fact, these are terms that I only learned quite recently, probably about two months ago. So phonemic and phonological awareness, let's start with phonological. Phonological awareness is the ability to hear and manipulate units of sound. So when someone's speaking in a language, can you hear the different units of sound in that spoken language, hear them clearly and be able to manipulate them? Phonemic awareness is very similar, except it has to do with phonemes as opposed to just units of sound. So phoneme, I'll give you an example of a phoneme. A phoneme in the word uh, cat, right? If we have cat, we have three phonemes. K, a, t. K, a, t. Put together makes cat. So there's three different sounds, three different phonemes in the word cat. I'm not worried if you have a precise understanding of exactly what phonemic and phonological awareness is. Basically think of it as when you hear sounds, can you hear them clearly and manipulate those sounds Uh, in whatever language you're trying to learn, okay? So in my experience, when when people talk about phonemic and phonological awareness, usually they're talking about reading skills because these are concepts that are very important in alphabet, in alphabet based language, languages to be able to learn to read. If you have poor phonemic awareness, you will likely struggle to read in another language. Assuming it's even your own mother tongue, actually, not even another language, your mother tongue too. As a child, if you're learning to read in your first language and you speak an alphabet-based language and you have poor phonemic awareness or phonological awareness, really, either or, you'll have a very difficult time being able to read. I've been experiencing this firsthand because I'm working with someone right now who's four, or rather she just turned five years old, and her parents want her to ha- want me to help her with reading because apparently she's behind. That's what her school said. And um, so with her, the reason she was struggling initially is she can't even hear, she can't even hear sounds in a word. She can't tell you, oh, the first sound in the word cat is k. The first sound in the word uh, dog is d. She can't tell, she couldn't tell you that. And if you can't break those sounds up, when you start to learn letters, you do not understand that every letter has one sound. Now, in languages like English, sometimes you get letter combinations and they have one sound for two letters. You get silent letters, but that's a bit more advanced. But even on the basic, basic level of one letter, one sound is something that people don't understand. So when people learn to read as children, you know, you might have, a lot of you might be able to relate to this. There's one of two ways you learn to you learn to read if you speak an alphabet-based language. 
Either A, you learned the sounds that letters make, and you learned how to put those sounds together to make words. So even if I, if I give you a word that you've never seen before, you could sound it out and figure out how to say it. But a bunch of you probably didn't learn to read that way. And the way you learned to read was looking at words as a whole and memorizing what those words sound like. But you could not break the, break the word down into individual letters and sound the word out. Which means that if you saw an unfamiliar word that you've never seen before, you would not be able to sound it out or know how to say it. If you're not sure which camp you fall into, here's a couple things to wonder or really ask yourself. If you struggle to rhyme, for example, that means you have low phonological and or phonemic awareness. If you struggle to know how many syllables are in words, again, same thing. Uh, if, you, if you struggle to know where one word ends and another one starts, that's another... Um, Another indication that you have low phonological or phonemic awareness. If you are unable to sound words out in your first language or other languages you're learning, again, that's another indication. So I've got some students that I've noticed that they cannot sound words out for the life of them, right? Um, or even I have a student right now, and this is what initially made me think of this topic. Sometimes she's a French student, and I've had this happen more than once. It'll be a student, let's say French, and I'll say, oh, the word, I'll say the word like intérêt. Okay, intérêt means interest. Now, with some of my students, if I say intérêt, they'll go, oh, that makes sense. That's like the English word. That means they heard intérêt and they heard the similarity to the English word interest. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or they understand that at some level, they understand, oh, intérêt, it's probably spelled like I-N-T-E-R-E or R. Like interest, it's spelled similarly, and they can just get it quickly. And like, oh, that makes sense. But I've got other students that just can't. Why? Because they, they can't spell the word in their head. They actually don't have any clue how to spell it. They don't know what sounds are in it. They don't hear the similarity to English. I have a student, you know, like these kinds of things happen. And so that, my theory anyway, I could be wrong. Because I'm not seeing a lot of people talking about this online. I've Googled it. I've, I've thought about it. But my hypothesis is that low phonemic and phonological awareness would have a negative impact on listening comprehension skills due to the learner's ability to hear and manipulate, or rather inability, inability to hear and manipulate sounds in their mind upon hearing them. Of course, the reverse would be true too. Higher phonemic and phonological awareness would improve listening comprehension skills. I'm not 100% sure if I'm right about this, and I would love to hear your guys' perspectives, um, even just to clarify my own thoughts. Um, but I think I'm onto something. I'm testing it with some of my students now that I've noticed have low phonemic awareness. We're doing phonemic and phonological awareness practice activities in class to see if it helps them improve their listening comprehension. In the very small sample size of people that I've been working on, it seems like it has positive results but I haven't done it enough to really say definitively. But uh, yeah, that's the first thing I want to talk about. Maybe in another episode, I'll, I'll give some different activities for improving phonological and phonemic awareness. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, I'm learning more about it right now. And so I'm doing some different teaching activities with it. But from a learner's perspective, I'm not 100% sure how you would go about it quite yet. But the good news is if you Google how to improve phonological and phonemic awareness, you will find a lot of activities for it. I just don't know which ones work, how they work. I, I just don't know enough about it to say de definitively. 
So maybe in another episode, I will share some more activities or concrete advice on how to work on those. But for now, from what I can tell, having good phonemic and phonological awareness will, I think, will help with listening comprehension. Okay? Now, moving on to topic number two, language learning topic number two. This has to do with having a good teacher. Or, or tutor for a language. Now, I realized today, today that I have been wrong for a number of years. In my business, one of the things that I emphasize is that our tutors are very good. I really know how to teach. I know lots of different teaching methodologies. I am a language learner myself. I've been in lots of language classes. I, I, I know how to teach through TPRS. I know the grammar rules. I can explain them clearly. I put a heavy emphasis on teaching ability. And in my business, of course, there's different tutors that have different skill sets for teaching languages and different styles. But one of, the, one of the things that I value in my tutors is them being able to teach at least one type of class at a reasonably high, if not very high level. And I used to think that that was the main thing that mattered. Aside from personality, I thought, yes, personality also matters. You have to fit well with the tutor. I realized today that I actually might be wrong about this. So I think I said on an earlier in an earlier podcast that I'm learning to swim right now. I never learned as a child, and I avoided it for 25 years. I was scared of swimming. I was so embarrassed by it. And finally, due to my, my meditations and my journaling, I realized it's time for me to learn. And now here I am learning to swim, taking private lessons. Okay. Now, today, I had my third lesson, and there was someone else at the pool today. There was my usual instructor, and then there was her supervisor. My instructor was going through some kind of performance review or something like that, and so the supervisor was there. The supervisor led the class far more than the, my instructor did, and so I got to work primarily with the supervisor. It was clear to me that the supervisor is a far more experienced and skilled swimming instructor. She had a lot of strategies to teach me how to do things. She would give me very specific feedback on, oh, move your elbow a little bit more like this. Okay, if what, when you're working on your breath work, this is what really matters. I've seen this work well and this, that, the other thing. Really friendly lady too. And uh, it was, you know, it was great. I learned a lot from her. And it was obvious to me that she was far more experienced and skilled at teaching people how to swim. But here's the weird thing for me. After the lesson, when I was driving home, I was thinking to myself that, you know, even though she is actually a better swimming instructor, from what I can tell, I think if I had to choose, I would choose the current swimming instructor that I have. I would much rather have her as my instructor, even though I know she's less experienced and less skilled as a swimming instructor. And the reason is pretty simple. I just like her a bit more. I liked her a bit more. I liked the feel of the class with her a bit more. I felt a little more relaxed with her. And with the other lady, even though she's better in all ways, it's not even like she's really mean. And it's like, oh, her, she's really good, but she's mean. No, she's even super friendly. And we got along and everything. I just like the other person more for some reason, even though she's not as good at teaching how to swim. It's mostly due to her experience. I think she's just a lot younger. She's a high school student. and But I just liked working with her more. And going home, I was thinking to myself, like, wow, 
wow, I think I really might have it wrong. You just have to learn. You don't necessarily have to learn from someone who's the best teacher in the world. And that's what I just try to emphasize that being really, really, really good. But you don't necessarily have to learn from someone who's amazing. Not necessarily. One thing that's equally important at least, but maybe even more important, is just learning from someone that you feel comfortable with, that you like. And it's so funny. I was driving home and I was in my mind, I was I was picturing so many students that I've spoken with, like my personal students or people at Calgary Language Nerds. And I think to myself how I would tell them things like, or not that, I would picture myself teaching certain classes or trying to show my tutors certain things that maybe are less experienced than me and realizing that maybe the students felt the same way that I felt in my swim lesson. When I'm giving feedback to my tutors in a class, maybe the student, when I'm in the class giving feedback to my tutors, maybe the student feels the same way, like, oh yeah, Azrin clearly is more experienced than so-and-so, my current tutor. I just like my current tutor more, though. I think I'd rather work with this tutor than Azrin. So interesting, right? So interesting. I think if you're someone who teaches teaches anything, language or whatever, one thing that's very important is for you to go and learn new skills in a similar environment uh, than what you teach in. So if you teach language, if you te- if you're a private language tutor, taking a private swim class or private something else class and going through the experience of you being bad at it and trying to learn and observing how you learn and what goes through your mind, how you feel throughout the process, what the instructor does and comparing it to how you teach and what your what your students are going through i think that makes you a better teacher obviously another more direct comparison would be a tutor who learns languages or is trying to learn a new language i that's one of my hiring criteria most of my tutors are also language learners because if you're currently learning a language and you're teaching another language you are in the shoes of a language learner so you know from firsthand experience, what it's like to be a beginner or intermediate or whatever level. So yeah, that's another language learning topic I was thinking a lot about today. To wrap things up, let's switch over to the third and final topic for this podcast, which is sharing an insight that I got from my meditations and my journaling. My meditations and journaling go hand in hand. I view journaling as a form of meditation, to be honest. And often after my meditations, As you know, I sometimes do very fantastical meditations. Uh, If you didn't listen to my previous podcast episode, go listen to it. You'll see how fantastical my meditations get. But uh, I'll often take notes afterwards so I can capture the main learning points from the meditation. So I've had two main learning points. The first one is very practical, and I think a lot of you might be able to learn something from it too. I realize today, this is literally brand new, that I need to stop avoiding new and or unfamiliar multi-step tasks. Let me say that again. I need to stop avoiding new slash unfamiliar multi-step tasks. What that means is when I have to do something and I'm not very familiar with that task, I haven't done it a bunch of times, it's new for me, and it involves multiple steps. It's not something really straightforward. In other words, it's a little bit complicated. I tend to avoid the task. I tend to avoid it. So, you know, I'll give you a very basic example today. 
I've been avoiding, there's a new contract I've gotten with another organization. It's a large contract. Uh, I think it's one of my largest contracts this year, which is cool. And uh, there's some logistical organization I have to do. So I have to figure out which tutors are teaching which students on which days. I have to talk to all the tutors. I have to arrange the schedule. It's about six different tutors that are going to be teaching six different languages. But the schedule has to be very particular. It's a very exact sort of schedule. And so this is a kind of a complex task to arrange that schedule. And it's multi-step because I'll have to call each tutor. I'll have to ask them about their availability. I have to run them through the details. I have to then get a first draft of the schedule. Then I have to send it to the contact at the organization that's hired me, run the schedule by her. She's, of course, going to have edits. She'll send the edits back to me. She'll say, ooh, that day is not a good day. I'll have to go back to the tutor and go, hey, can we swap the day? The tutor will say no. Like, it's a really complex task. It can be logistically very complicated. So I've been avoiding that task for about nine, actually, exactly nine days. <laughs> I remember because today I was like, oh, my God. I've sat on this for nine days. Thankfully, it's not a big rush, it's not a huge rush. So I, I have the time to sit on it for nine days. But I realize I have to stop avoiding new and unfamiliar multi-step multi tasks. And the new framework I've decided to operate within in my life, and this, is, this worked wonders today. I was like, oh, this is such a great idea. Oh, my God. I need to, I need to prioritize what I've been avoiding and do those first. So every day when I wake up and I'm going through my day, some of the highest priority tasks... Maybe not the absolute highest, because sometimes there are things that need to get done first, but among the highest priority things that I must get done are things that I have been avoiding. And in my case, I avoid them because they're new slash unfamiliar multi-step tasks. And I realized that today, I tried that out. Any, basically, I looked when I made my to-do list, I was like, okay, well, what have I not been doing that I should be doing? And I had a whole list of things. And I got a lot of those done today. And I was like, wow, that's the way to approach the day, at least for me. So I wanted to share that with you because I realized that often the things that, at least for me, and I'm pretty sure others do this too, based on my observations of other humans. Often, I think what we do is the things that we avoid doing tend to be the things we actually need to do. Isn't that true? The things that we avoid doing often are actually the things that really need to be done. And so when we approach the day and go, okay, some of the highest priority things that I have to do today are the things that I've been avoiding for the longest. That's a good general rule of thumb to follow. Obviously, there's other things you have to do too. There's probably very important things you do every day that you don't avoid. So in my case, for example, I don't typically avoid making content. Not something I generally avoid. I like it. It's fun. But it's very important as well. I have to get that done. It's a big driver for my business. People come from the podcast to take lessons. People see my Facebook. They follow me for three months, like what I have to say. And they go, you know what? I want to work with Azrin to learn a language or this, that, the other thing. So that's important. And I don't usually avoid it. So I still have to do those things. It's not like I spend the whole day only doing things that I've been avoiding. But doing two, three, four things, one thing every day that I've been avoiding and getting that off the list has been... At least today, that was amazing. Amazing. The other thing through my meditation that I've learned, and I don't know if you'll be able to take something away from this, but this is just personally very important, 
in the last podcast episode, I told you about my very fantastical meditation where I was in the shadow land, which is basically like some form of hell, essentially, and how I was trapped in that land and in all future meditations. And I cannot go to my typical meditation space in my head. I was telling you guys that last time. And I thought that's very odd. And in my meditation, I told you as well that I basically realized through my meditation that I'm stuck in this hellscape and I need to essentially escape it. And there's something from there's something meaningful for me to do here. And I realized today that I real actually yesterday, sorry, I realized yesterday that actually what has to happen is I need to go through this hellscape and almost like a video game, complete different challenges that help me learn different things and turn the hellscape into a non-hellscape. It's actually slightly less of a hellscape now than it was before. It used to be this dark, scary place. Now it's a little bit lighter. There's almost like It's almost like, you know, when the sunrise starts to come up and the, and the sky's a little bit lighter. It looks something like that in my head. The reason being is I went through the another very fantastical meditation I don't know if I'll get fully into it, but the theme of the meditation was essentially discovering the evil of all evils and and understanding what the evil of all evils is. Something like that. Something something like that. I wish I actually took notes off of that meditation because now that I'm actually thinking about it now, I'm finding I'm having a hard time articulating precisely what it is. But it was something like understanding the evil of all evils and working through that and figuring out what that is and coming to peace and a terms with the evil of all evils and and yeah, just understanding what that even means. Like what trust me, if you want to go to a dark place, picture the evil of all. Actually sit down and go, what would be the evilest of all evils and really go down that rabbit hole? Because you realize things get worse and worse and worse and worse. And you can almost infinitely go worse. So the evil of all evils is something like killing the highest ideal possible in the slowest and most painful way possible is something like the most evil of evil. Yeah, the most evil of evil. (laughs) Something like that. I don't even want to... I, I kind of want to, but I'm not going to because you'll be mentally scarred. Uh, I kind of want to take you through what the three-day meditation I went through to kind of realize this. But it was pretty messy. You can imagine. You can imagine what kind of places your brain goes to. Here's a little taster. I won't go as deep, as dark as it gets. Let's just say torture is not that evil. It's super evil. No, No doubt. But boy, you can get a lot worse than just, oh, let's just physically torture someone. You can get way worse than that. And that's, God. Anyway, um, it's my bedtime. I don't really want to end the night off on that. So let's share some good news to wrap things up. (laughs) End on a bit of a light note. (laughs) Um, Something I've been doing in my, uh, through my teaching recently, that's been like really, really positive is that when there's discussion topics, especially if it's not a weekly class, even a weekly classes though, and one thing I've been doing is as a discussion topic, I've been saying every week, the discussion topic is identical every week, is I want to know 
all the positive things that happened over the past week. Or if it's a class I have every two weeks, I'll say, what are all the positive things that have happened in the past two weeks? And that becomes our discussion point. Really, really meaningful to me. And it's been very powerful, I think, um, because a lot of people spend a lot of their time thinking about things that stress them out, make them feel anxious, worry them. Especially nowadays, I feel there's a lot of unrest in the world. And I was like, ah, right. This is a very small way for me to use my classes to create a positive space that people have regularly and they get in the habit of thinking of things that actually went well, get some in the habit of practicing gratitude, you know, uh, things of that nature. Good, essentially. And that's been a little positive thing I've been doing. So by the way, if you're the kind of person who does facilitate something on a regular basis, like a yoga class or whatever it is, um, maybe there's a something you can do to modify that and adapt it and apply that yourself. It's so small and so easy and so lightweight. And yet I think it's really meaningful and uh, has some pretty powerful effects, I think. So anyway, it's 2.17 at night. I'm going to wrap this podcast up. I appreciate your attention as always. I hope you like this podcast. Uh, if you have any thoughts, feedback, anything you want to tell me <laughs> after listening to this, let me know. You know where to find me. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, you know, basically everywhere. And my username is at polyglotazrin. P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-A-Z or Z-R-E-N. Oh, you can also follow my, my email newsletter if you're not on that. That's been growing super fast lately. 20 to 40 people a day, which is nuts. But if you want to follow my email newsletter, go to azrin.substack.com. So A-Z or Z-R-E-N dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. So substack.com azarin.substack.com. You can read my blog. I've been blogging lately. And uh, there's also a new email newsletter sign up on that, on that page too. All right, guys, have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.